Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I am joined by a wonderful guest, uh, a fellow deacon, but a different kind of deacon. This is Deacon James Clark. Deacon Clark, welcome to the Catholic Cafe. Thank you for having me, Deacon. Um, So, uh, we call you Deacon because you are a deacon. You were recently ordained. Uh, That was a beautiful uh, uh, ordination, by the way. I was present for that. Thank you. Uh, But you are a different kind of deacon. What kind of deacon are you? I'm a transitional deacon, which means that even though I have been ordained a deacon, I will go on to be ordained a priest. Lord willing. Yes, That's right. God Lord willing. willing. <laughs> the crick don't rise. Right. You'll be Father Clark at some point in time in the near future. But a transitional deacon is a little different than a permanent deacon. I'm a permanent deacon, which means that the train has stopped. <laughs> right. Here I am. I have found myself. I've answered the call, and the call said, you're going to be a permanent deacon. Uh, additionally, I'm married and have children, a uh, whole different kind of a perspective. But a transitional deacon uh, is different from a permanent deacon other than moving on. Are there any other differences, or do you still share those the same call to uh, the ministry of the Word and the altar and charity? Are those still the same things that you uh, participate in? Absolutely. Ultimately, there's only one diaconate in the Catholic Church. And so whether you're in the diaconate to move on to priesthood or whether you stay in the diaconate for the rest of your life, it's still the same ministry of the church. And so that could be charitable activities. It could be preaching. It could be um, assisting at the Eucharist, which is the most common. Uh, There could be any number of things that your pastor or your bishop could assign you to. But it's all the same diaconate, ultimately. I will just only be there until I become a priest. Now, how long does that process usually take from that first ordination, the ordination to the diaconate, and then the ordination to the priesthood? Well, according to canon law, it has to be at least six months of being a deacon before you move on to the priesthood. But that can change. In our diocese, it's usually a year. For me, it won't be quite that long. But it's a very important time because it's when you first become a clergyman or a cleric of the church. And so at that point, you represent the church in a new way. Even though I wear the clothing of a priest um, and have since I entered theology school, yet I speak on behalf of the church now, and therefore people look to you to receive that guidance and that pastoral guidance that they don't always look for from a seminarian. But now that I'm a deacon, I get to preach very often, and uh, it's, I get to teach people who are wanting to come into the Catholic Church. It's a very good experience. It's more you know, than I it's, expected. It's, it's very interesting that a lot of times, you know, we all had moms, right? And so as we're being raised, and mom would have these rules for us, and, and she would ask us to do these things and do those things. And, and maybe at the time we didn't always understand her reasoning behind some of the things she did. But I think it's really neat that we can look back now and see that sort of, um, that sort of stair-step process of ordination where you are, you are a man of holy orders. You're a cleric. You're ordained as a deacon. A lot of people don't realize that deacons are ordained. Correct. Right, but then there's sort of a hierarchy, sort of a stair-step process here. And so the next uh, rung on the ladder, if you will, is the, is the priesthood. And just to know that canon law says, well, you know, you need to be a deacon for a little while. We need you to understand what the diaconate is all about. Because you're actually going to carry some of that being a deacon with you, right? You don't exactly. stop being a deacon once you're a priest. Exactly. I will always be a deacon. And that will always be an essential part of my priestly ministry, that ministry of the Word of God, the ministry of charity. All of those things go into who I am and who I will be as a priest. 
you know, even those men who are picked to be bishops, they still remain priests and deacons, even the Pope. So it's very important that you always remember this ministry of the word and the ministry of charity of the diaconate. I read somewhere that bishops, when they when they ordain, when they're at an ordination, will sometimes wear their dalmatic underneath uh, of their of their vestments to remind them of their of their diaconate, because the bishop is a deacon first and a priest second, then he's he's bishop. Exactly. Uh, and so you always keep that that fullness uh, of orders uh, with you. Very true. Okay, so what we needed to look at now is why did. Little James Clark. When did he decide that he wanted to be something other than a layperson? When did uh, when did you think that Deacon Clark that you first started to realize that maybe God was calling you somewhere else to do something else? Fifth grade. Fifth grade. That's that was last year for you, was it? <laughs> Not exactly, but you know it's been quite a while. A lot of people are shocked when I tell them that I wanted to be a priest from the time I was in fifth grade. I was not baptized a Catholic. I was baptized in the Episcopal Church. But my parents converted, my father first and then my mother. And um, I was in third or fourth how, grade. Oh, third or fourth grade. I was going to say, how, how old were you when that happened? So I was rather young. But then they took me to be enrolled in a Catholic school for the first time for fifth grade. And there was an elderly nun who was teaching that course. And I didn't know what she was saying at the time. I was doing something else. But she told my parents, that boy's going to be a priest. I've been predicting for 40 years, and I haven't been wrong yet. <laughs> Sister's always right. That's right, and it shocked my parents. They, they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't fathom that, couldn't process it. But they asked me later on at home, they said, well, you know, have you ever thought about being a priest? The sister thinks that you might be a good priest. Now, how old were you when they were asking you those questions, like when you were in fifth grade? Fifth grade, yeah. Now, see, we should stop here and talk about that for a second, because a lot of people don't realize just what import a parent will have just in their openness, their willingness to discuss uh, the priesthood with their with their children. And that really vocations, so many vocations will come out of just that conversation. Sure. And because a lot of kids don't realize that's even a possibility. That conversation has to start at when you're a child. You know, your parents need to let you know that God is ultimately calling you to something. It's God's call. But you have to be open to what the Lord wants to offer you. And that could be the priesthood. Now, of course, for some parents, that can be difficult because they, you know, they want grandchildren. And, of course, priests are only chosen from among men who resolve to stay unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. Right. But, um, you know, if parents are open and generous with their children, their children can respond to that call if that's what God's calling them to. Well, another point that kind of brings up is we live in a culture now that wants to shrink the size of our families. And yes, you think about shame. parents who are Catholics who want to have priests, right? Want to have people in religious life. And, and you think, well, if I only have one son, do I want to give him up to the priesthood? I don't know if I want to encourage that because we want the family name to go on or we want our son to do this or that. But if the more son, not that you want to give away, and there's a whole different perspective. I don't want to make it sound like you're throwing them away into the priesthood. But right. I, I will say that people tend to, be, to cling more to their only children, Hmm. Very true. And, you know, it's that generosity on the part of parents is so important because it's a part of their faith, too, that they're willing to let that son go. They never really let them go, but they're willing to offer them to God and to the church. And it's interesting that uh, I was on a retreat with a seminary a couple of years ago, and we had a bishop, a Bishop Alexander Sample from Marquette. And he came down and he was telling us a story that he was gave a great homily on vocations and really had people fired up. 
And he went out and was shaking hands with people as they came out of the church. And there was this woman who came out and said, you know, Father, you are absolutely right. He was just a priest at this time. He said, we've really got to do something about vocations. And he said, well, you know, your son Michael was just serving Mass tonight. You know, maybe he's got a vocation. And she said, oh, no, Father, he's got so much potential. He's got so much going for him. <laughs> and, of course, Bishop Sample, you know, gave up a very successful career. Um, sure. And in academics, as a physicist, I think, or somewhere in the scientific field, and he's very talented, and yet he gave that up so that he could become a priest and is now a bishop. But it kind of shows how there's some people, they just never really think that, well, maybe the priesthood is possible for my child. Well, you know, and you think that, well, this child has potential, so we want him to go on to, to be a CEO of some company or whatever, to change the world or whatever. And again, you start to forget, what is the reason for life anyway? Our, our, our whole purpose in life on this earth is really just to get ourselves to heaven. Right, and so if like if if our goal is to get to heaven, we need more priests. Absolutely, yeah, that's a beautiful uh, beautiful sentiment. And so I, I'm thankful for that bishop, and thankful for other bishops that uh, that encourage vocations and uh, encourage that conversation with parents and children, so that we can then um, have a uh, a greater uh, field in which to harvest our uh, uh, our priests and 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 again our brothers and. Uh, sisters and and even deacons, and so it's definitely um, an important concept or topic. Now, after these holy words of this nun were spoken to you, uh, predicting that you would be a uh, maybe a prophesying that you would be uh, that you would be a priest, and of course your parents immediately then enrolled you in seminary at sixth grade. Is that what happened? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> I didn't think so. No, um, my parents. Again, it, it has to do with parents considering the fact that this is a possibility for their child. Because my parents, having been converts, I mean, that probably wasn't even on their radar screen. But then they considered it, and they were open to that possibility. They never forced me into it. Um, they never said that, well, once you decide you want to do it, you have to. Right. They were very open to that and very supportive, regardless of what I wanted to do. Even in formation, you're told all the way through. You're not going to be a priest necessarily, so just let's start the process. Exactly. And you have... All the way up until that day and the laying on of hands, at least to the diaconate, where you, you may not end up being ordained. That's and some true. men will, I don't think they do like in the wedding where they leave at the altar. They don't show up or whatever on the day of ordination. But it can be getting pretty close because this is a serious, life-changing, life-altering Exactly. Thing. And it has to be a free choice. You know, no one can coerce you into being a deacon or a priest. Ultimately, it won't work. Right. It, it has to be that free choice. You have to realize that God calls men to the diaconate and to the priesthood. And you have to discern whether or not he's calling you and whether or not you're willing to accept that call. There's no coercion whatsoever. And then what that call is going to mean in your life. What's your, what's your ministry? What's your mission? What, you know, what are you going to do for God's church? All those things have to be considered uh, once you've uh, at least answered that first call because there's several calls that come. That's true. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. We're going to continue on uh, after this break. Before we do that, though, I do want to remind everyone we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. We have one-click podcasting where you can hear all of the shows that we've, uh, that we've ever recorded are all online. Uh, so if you want to go back and hear some old shows or re-listen to your favorites or load them onto your iPod or whatever, you can do that. And also, I'd like you to email me. Uh, send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history.
Where are you going, my dear father, without your son? Where are you hurrying off to, holy priest, without your deacon? Before, you never mounted the altar of sacrifice without your servant, and now you wish to do it without me? These are the famous words of St. Lawrence, deacon and martyr, as he saw Pope St. Sixtus carried off to his death by the Roman authorities. St. Lawrence was one of the seven deacons of Rome and had great authority over the administration of the church. He was responsible for the church's funds and the care of the poor in Rome. Lawrence's responsibilities put him at the center of the pagan Roman government's hatred for the growing Christian church. The year was 258 AD and the Roman Emperor Valerian had declared Christianity an outlaw religion. Under Valerian's decree, many priests and deacons, including the Pope himself, were put to death. After Sixtus was put to death, the Prefect of Rome demanded that St. Lawrence give up the wealth of the church within three days, and he did just that. On the third day, Lawrence presented the Prefect with the poor, the sick, the lame, the crippled, and said these suffering souls were the true treasures of the church. This act of courage enraged the prefect, and he condemned Deacon Lawrence to immediate death. St. Lawrence was martyred in one of the cruelest ways the Romans knew. They burned him alive on a metal grill. But even during this gruesome death, he was able to keep his Christian joy about him through a special grace from God. He was said to have remarked to his executioners, This side is done. Turn me over. The Divine Office accords this special prayer to him on his feast day. Father, you called St. Lawrence to serve you by love and crowned his life with glorious martyrdom. Help us to be like him in loving you and doing your work. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Lawrence is a witness to the courageous life all deacons are called to live. They are not only servants of the high altar of God, but they are servants to the everyday needs of his people. St. Lawrence is a patron saint of deacons everywhere. His feast day is celebrated by the Universal Church on August 10th. I'm Bess Drozimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we've got a fresh cup of coffee in front of us, and we are sitting back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Uh, I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm joined here with Deacon James Clark. And Deacon Clark, uh, we were talking about your calling, right? And we just left fifth or sixth grade or whatever. And what's happening later in your life? Obviously, you didn't go straight into seminary, right? So you you, exactly. you had to live a kind of a normal childhood or whatever. And I did. and But you know, that idea of being a priest never left. And, you know, for some people... Discerning a vocation can be difficult. You know, they, they might have the idea later on in life, or they might have it, but then it might sort of fade into the background, and they don't consider it for a, a long time. But for me, that wasn't the case, and perhaps I'm somewhat unique, but I always kept it in the back of my mind, even in high school, you know, it's go ahead and date, but you always know in the back of your mind, this is what God's calling me to do. Well, now that's a pretty perceptive young man because I went through high school, believe it or not, and I don't know that I had any kind of thoughts like that in the back of my mind uh, because the world kind of screams at you, doesn't it, especially at that age. Very true. Yes, the, the world is constantly screaming a different message into your ear, but 
you've, you know, God preserves vocations. He knows who he's calling, and he will, he will send the Holy Spirit to help you in that discernment. And so it, at first, I thought about becoming a religious priest. You know, a lot of people don't realize that there are different kinds of priests. Um, you, some people might be familiar with the Franciscans or the Benedictines. These are orders or congregations that dedicate their lives to a specific work for the church. And it could be a contemplative, like some Benedictines, who dedicate their lives primarily to prayer. Right. And some of those monks will become priests. I felt drawn to the Franciscans. The Franciscans are often known for their poverty. But, you know, St. Francis had a tremendous love for God. And it was, you read his writings, what few we have, and they're truly beautiful. That passion that he had for God and for the church really appealed to me. And so I went and visited a Franciscan community and realized that that wasn't the call for me either. That wasn't where God was calling me. Well, we should stop here and talk about that for a second because a lot of people think that a call is a call is a call. That you just basically, it's like going into the the army or something and you show up and they give you some new clothes and tell you this is what you're doing and they assign you to uh, kitchen patrol or or you're going to be a gunner on this ship or whatever in the Navy. You know, and they put you in places. But really... It's up to you really to sort of try to fine-tune and understand exactly what God's calling you to do. And so that may mean going and visiting some of these uh, monasteries or uh, a a local parish or wherever you might feel that sort of tug and urge and see if that really is indeed what's going on. And that's what I did. And that was right after high school. I went and visited a Franciscan community. And when I realized that that wasn't it, eventually my pastor put me in touch with a priest who had worked with vocations. And he helped me to realize the value of the diocesan priest, which is what I'm studying to be. When I'm ordained a priest, God willing, I will be connected to this diocese for the rest of my life, more than likely. Right. And so I will be probably doing parish ministry, although the bishop could send me to do some other kind of studies or academic work. But more than likely, I'll be in a parish and taking care of the ordinary Catholic. And that's important work. You know, the Franciscans, the Benedictines, they have a more specialized outlook, um, a more specialized charism, we call it. Right. But the diocesan priest is the one who's oftentimes working with the people in the parishes and helping people to live their faith. And that's a, that's essential work in the life of the church. Well, if you look at the world today and you look at uh, just the generally sort of declining morals and you, you look at all the problems that we have with our, with our young people uh, and even with our married couples and... Just the the general outlook on life can sometimes be kind of dismal. And you think, well, you know, really, that's in a very, very important place to be. Because now you're ministering to the people who need it the most, the vast majority of people, the people trying to live their ordinary daily lives. And the parish priest is a hero in that regard. That's right. He, he is the one who interfaces with the people of God. You know, he's sent by his bishop to because the bishop can't be everywhere in his diocese. He sends his priests as special co-workers to go out and meet the people where they are and to bring them to Christ. And that's essential work for the life of the church. And one of the ways that, as a deacon, I've already begun preaching. That's one of the things that many deacons do. And I have an opportunity to speak to people and try to connect the gospel message with their lives. And that's very important. And I thoroughly enjoy it. I enjoy being able to give a part of myself and Christ's message to his people. And people will respond to that when they see that authenticity, when they see that you really do care for them. Yeah, you know, if you practice what you preach, as they say, uh, it's a good thing. And people, suddenly there's a a credibility there, right? And they can actually see God in you. They can see Christ in you when they know that you live and you you believe, you truly believe what what you're talking about. Right. 
You know, in the church we have seven sacraments, which are the important ways in which we encounter Christ. But we have the sacramental reality is that certain things are symbolic of Christ and of his presence in the world. And in some ways, every priest and deacon is like a sacramental because people will come up to you, they will offer to pray for you, they will entrust their lives to you, tell you about very important personal things and share those things with you. They don't do it because you're Deacon Jeff or Deacon Clark. They do that because you represent Jesus Christ. And so it's very important to always have that perspective that you are someone who is working on behalf of Christ. If that's the case, people will respond to it because they're captivated by Christ. You're only the instrument. Absolutely. Wonderful. Now, so when you visited with that parish or parish priest and you started to think about that, what was the next step? You didn't suddenly enter the seminary again. I mean, there was something else that has to go on before that. There's, there's quite an application process. It's, um, you know, the church has to be very thorough in finding out what kind of men are wanting to become priests, find out if they've got the intellectual capacity, if they're living a moral life, a Catholic life. These are very important things that the church does to guard the sacraments and guard the faithful. And so having completed that, um, that process of application and the interviews that go with it, then I entered seminary. Now, but before that, and while those interviews and whatnot are going on, there's, is, there's also that, just that process of discernment, personal discernment and prayer, right? I mean, you, you can't just decide you're going to be a priest. I mean, it's not your decision. It's exactly. a call, right? You're answering a call. So how did that prayer, how did that work out for you? Well, you know, it's important that every person who's considering a vocation will have a priest who can be a spiritual director or give them some guidance along the way. And, um, you know, Monsignor Victor Sierra Mataro, who has been on your show before, he um, was a very influential person in helping me to discern my vocation and making sure that I was dedicated to a life of prayer and helping me in all the struggles of formation. Because really, the time in seminary doesn't mean that you've arrived, that your vocation is confirmed. Once you get into seminary, it's a time to test that vocation, to consider, to continue to consider whether or not God's calling you. And there are people who actually leave the seminary after having attended the seminary and realize that this is not indeed their calling. Right. And they're not failures. Not, right? of course not. This no. is a, discernment is something where you're trying to do the best job you can to figure out what God is calling you to be and to do. Exactly. And seminary comes from the Latin word for a seed bed. And it's where those seeds are planted and you help them to grow. And that's the role of the seminary in formation, to help those to grow. But, you know, some men will find out in time that they've become good, better men, they've become good Catholics, but they just don't believe God's calling them to the priesthood. And that's okay. Because then what has the seminary done? It's produced better men to be good Catholic fathers. That's right. And, and better that we determine this now. Then later. Then later, because a lot of times people can rush into decisions, and we know what happens when, in our everyday lives when we rush into a decision. We don't completely um, just air everything out and discern and pray and talk about what we're getting ready to do. We, we can make mistakes at times. That's, that's very true. And, of course, the, the church has a way of helping to make sure that those mistakes are not as easy to make. If you have no college education, for example, if you enter seminary right out of high school, you have about eight years of formation before you ever reach the priesthood. You have your college studies, general education studies, then you have to study philosophy, and then you go on to a theology school for four years. So that's a long process, and it really gives you the time to think and to pray. Now, frequently we get people that will email here at the Catholic Cafe, and they will ask questions about uh, whether they might be called to, to the diaconate or whether they might be called to the priesthood. 
what kind of advice do you give the young man? Now, you, you're a, a transitional deacon. You're ordained to the diaconate. And so you've made, you've made it this far. Congratulations. It's Thank a wonderful you. thing. And, uh, and we, we're, we're so pleased and blessed to have you uh, with us. But what do you tell the young man who might not be sure, who may still be listening to some of those other voices, the worldly voices, whispering in his ear or shouting in his ear like during high school and, and college? Well, the first thing he must do, he must dedicate time to prayer. You have to realize that God is the one calling, and therefore you have to get those other noises out so that you can hear him. And the way you do that is prayer, especially prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament. So I would urge any young man who's considering a vocation to take that time to go to church, be alone with God, and pray. That way you can also listen. And also, like I said, find a priest whom you trust who can help to guide you in that process, because sometimes God chooses to speak through other people. And so it's very important that with prayer and proper spiritual direction, then you'll begin to know what God is truly calling you to. Well, that's wonderful advice. In fact, we've had uh, our head chef at the Catholic Cafe is Father Ben Bradshaw. Uh, and yes. he even talks about his personal conversion and, and is, is answering that call. And he was before the Blessed Sacrament. This is a wonderful, beautiful time to just be quiet, right? To be still and know that he is God. And that's a good time to, to ask questions, to discern, to pray. Uh, and wait for God to give you further instruction. There's so much noise in the world, but God chooses to speak in that small voice. And if we're able to listen and be quiet within ourselves, then we can hear him whenever he's speaking to us. It may not be an audible voice. It may be through the circumstances of our life. But unless we're recollected and calm and pray before the Lord, we can't hear that voice. Well... Deacon Clark, it's, it's uh, with sort of mixed emotion that I would say that uh, one day you'll be a priest because I think that's awesome. We need more young men who, uh, who think like you but who are willing to answer God's call. Uh, and, and the church will be continually blessed, right, by having these, these men in persona Christi uh, uh, ministering to us. And that's a wonderful thing. Then there's the sadness of another good deacon, you know, bites the dust and moves on, you know. Uh, so being a transitional deacon, you're only with us for a short period of time. And uh, I know you'll never leave your diaconate. I'll always be a deacon. <laughs> and we'll always welcome you back into the fold. Uh, but we, we look forward to that day and pray for that day uh, and pray for you, uh, Deacon Clark, that uh, that you will receive God's uh, uh, blessing and uh, that uh, that you'll follow through and that uh, the church will see a new young priest uh, ready to minister to all of her uh, uh, children of God. Thank you, Deacon. Wonderful. Well, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of holy orders. Help us, we pray, to see your saving hand in all that the bishops, priests, and deacons do in ministry through your one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.